This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again, the Mobile Home Park Lawyer. Got a special guest today. He's from Sunstone. He's a broker, mobile home park specialist, been in the business over 10 years. Please welcome Coleman Bubis. Morning, Coleman. Hey, Ferd. Morning. Appreciate you having me on. And, uh... Always nice to connect and talk about uh, talk about some business. Sounds great, man. Well, I know your I know your background. I know you've been in the business a long time. To close a ton of deals, but uh, tell our audience a little bit more about you and your firm and uh, what you do. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, I started in the business in November of two thousand four. I was a, a broker at Marcus Millichap. I was there for five and a half years, and then in two thousand ten, I teamed up with Robert McBroom, who was at uh, CBRE at the time and Wayland Grubbs, who was at Marcus and Millichap in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And we, we founded Sunstone with the goal of working exclusively on MH and RV properties throughout the country. Um, and taking kind of the big firm mentality, but giving a little bit more of a team kind of tailored approach to our, our clients needs on both the real estate transaction side. And then eventually as well on some debt placement. It's been, um, it's been a great 10 years and uh, you know, most of our business is sell side representation. We're selling between 20 and 40 communities a year and uh, it's been, been great success and worked with a, a lot of your listeners and look forward to potentially working with some more going forward. Sounds great. Well, I know, I know when you got started, you were probably doing more of deal chasing and now you guys have closed, I think over a billion dollars in, in transactions since you went out on your own. Tell me, uh, what does your day-to-day look like now and then with, and with the current market in particular, uh, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's uh, still always deal chasing. You know, in the early days, a lot of databasing and cold calling and, you know, mail solicitations, et cetera. Fortunately, you know, we've got some great repeat customers and some other some other uh, groups that we've, we've worked with over the years. So, that being said, still doing some cold calling and always trying to prospect a little bit for some new business. But a lot of our day-to-day is um, you know, marketing properties, meeting with owners, seeing real estate, and then ultimately you know, getting into the nitty-gritty of talking through the property and the location and the details of the operations so that we can you know, help our sellers to properly value the properties and or, and or work through questions that buyers have. I would say as a, as a team and an organization, um, we try to put a lot of work on the front end to get uh, the smell test done from our end so that we can try to uncover any issues that might come up to affect the transaction later. We're always asking our sellers about their operations, trying to get as much books and records and information as we can, whether that's on you know, uh, a, a cell report or if it's kind of handwritten in a ledger, we've worked with everything in between but we try to um, really diligence the deal ourselves on the front end so we know what we're selling and we can anticipate problems and, and uh, try to get those out in the open because surprises do kill the deals. So that's one thing that our team tries to, to be very diligent on. Um, but 
you know, in the 15 years that I've been brokering deals, I can definitely say, you know, there's more interest in the space than ever. And um, we're seeing a lot of different, you know, new buyers, new sellers, people coming into the space that weren't here. And that's exciting. I think there's, um, you know, opportunity to learn and better ourselves, especially from people that are coming in from other asset classes that might offer some unique ideas that maybe we didn't. But overall, um, I've never seen more interest in the space. And that certainly kind of continued on the, the feedback, which I'm sure everyone else is getting you, which is, you know, deals are hard to come by. There's a finite amount of communities. The stock has always been kind of relatively stable. Um, cap rates have been aggressive and demand has been aggressive, but at the same time, operations have remained stable with the onset of COVID. You know, deals that that paused or died kind of when the pandemic started, we've, we've closed and moved forward. We brought out a lot of new inventory and right now we're, we're busy with, you know, transactions that we're trying to jam in this year and or prepare for first quarter of next year. So um, it's exciting times for the space, but um, at the same time, it's, you know, prices have gone up and, and yields down, but with the financings available, I, th I think there's still a lot of attractiveness and runway kind of in the space. And at the end of the day too, from the, from the customer demand side, you know, in most markets we're hearing from operators that their collections of good and, and um, that the demand for, you know, the housing product has been strong as well. So we remain kind of bullish on the space and thus far um, compared to some of the other asset classes, it's weathered the pandemic, um, you know, pretty well. No, I, I agree. I think that's a lot of good points. I, I agree that the, the number of buyers coming to the space seems to be an all-time high. Lots of interest. COVID, I think, is going to make this the darling of commercial real estate, that uh, the asset is being seen as very stable. The cap rates have been compressing, I think, more and more. That's what I keep hearing. I keep seeing it myself. But uh, the low debt interest rates are allowing that to, allowing that to happen. Uh, good debt is out there. Fannie and Freddie are open. Uh, I think CMBS is, was on hold for a while, but is I'm hearing coming coming back, so that's great. But I also want to mention, I, I thought that was a good point that your team does is on the on the offering memorandums. If you guys kind of do your own due diligence, and I'll see, I look at a lot of deals, and sometimes brokers just don't do that, and you get a, a one sheeter, and there's full errors. Or it says it's on historicals, but it's pro forma. You know, I just opened one, one of your offering memorandums here today on your your three part portfolio in Illinois, and it, it's full of lots of information, right? And it makes my job easier as a buyer that I'm not, I don't have to go second guess everything quite as hard at the beginning. Obviously there's my own due diligence, but um, that's, that's good. It sets you guys apart. I mean, with all these new buyers coming in, are you seeing sophisticated buyers or, you know, unsophisticated buyers that are, are wasting your time? Or if I'm a new buyer, how do I, how do I get your time? Cause you're, you're obviously busy with lots of deals. How can the new buyers get your attention and be taken seriously? Yeah, no, I think like any time there's, there's the range, some very sophisticated buyers, some other people coming in, you know, I, I, I try to be generous of my time, but at the same time, you know, I also only have so much. Um, so I, I really, we, we really do try to put a lot of effort into our offer memorandums. So, um, you know, I do really like it when people actually read that stuff before just calling me and, and asking me the same questions that I've, I've spent hours kind of trying to detail in the offering memorandum. That being said, you know, every mobile home park, that's kind of really the cool part about the space. Every park is a little different or has its nuances. So I do really think it's, it's very valuable to get on the phone and talk through the operations and what's going there now and what we've seen that could change or couldn't change. Um, 
but we do, you know, really like that people review the data before because, um, you know, we really spend a lot of time trying to compile it. But, um, you know, just being thoughtful of people's time, I think is always nice. I try to do the same and not, not waste people's time, but do a little homework on the front end. I love when people actually like jump in their car or jump on a plane and go see the real estate. I realize it's a little bit, a little bit different world today, but uh, I literally heard someone, um, you know, who rented an RV and made a vacation out of it and drove, went and drove, you know, a bunch of parks in certain areas just to make sure they really saw the real estate. Cause I can tell you that's something we also take very seriously is like, it's really difficult to kind of take a buyer seriously when they haven't, you know, gone and seen the property to really understand it. We're not buying, you know, uh, stock and or, you know, treasury bonds here. We're buying a living, breathing kind of operating business. So that's another thing from the new, the newbie perspective of, you know, engage, ask good questions, do your homework, get out and see the real estate. And, you know, we were all kind of, we all did our first deal at some point. And uh, I think people in general, like, like helping people on their first deal, as long as um, you can tell they're legitimate and engaging and doing their homework and, you know, asking some, some of the right questions. No, I think that's good advice. I think, especially if you're a first timer, you need to, you know, do stuff above and beyond because your, your credibility to close is not going to be as good. Your bankability is not going to be as good perhaps, but if you're putting in more effort and you've already seen the property, that should definitely help. I was, on Friday last week, I was talking to these guys who wanted to do a, a joint venture on these two parks together. And I said, well, I haven't driven there yet. You're just giving me, you're just giving me information. Can you send me the, the drive-through videos? So they said, we don't have any videos. I said, well, out of the four members on your team, how many of you have been in the park? Well, none of us. So they already have a signed LOI. Two of the guys live 40 minutes away. And you've been driven a lot. You've been driven into this $4 million deal. You've been driven 40 minutes away. Give me a break, guys. It's like, in this case, I wasn't the broker or the seller. I was trying to look at a joint venture. I'm not taking that seriously, right? So I think that's key for a new newbie is, you know, go the extra mile, take on the, put in the effort and be taken seriously. But what, yeah, what other tips? Oh, go ahead. No, I agree. And there's, um, you know, so many great resources out there, you know, these days, especially, you know, podcasts, your podcasts. You know, I've been on some other ones with, with Kevin Bupp and, um, you know, Ian and Ryan from Archimedes, there's a lot of, a lot of good information out there, um, you know, so people can really um, do their studies and kind of get into the business and start to learn it. So, you know, hopefully people can use some of those resources that are available to them. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's definitely easier to get into business from a, from a skill standpoint than it was five years ago, because there's so much more resources. It's probably harder to get into business from a competitiveness standpoint, just because so many more parts are being gobbled up by the bigger players, but there's still a lot of, a lot of runway left in the industry, in my opinion. Can you tell us, uh, can you, do you have any kind of advice or tips that you can, you want to share from either your own experience or somebody taught you that uh, you think be valuable for our listeners? You know, I think, um, you know, one of our, one of our clients once told me, um, you know, you show me a good park, I'll show you good management. And really, I think, for newbies or people that are in with one property, you know, at the end of the day, like brokerage from the grand scheme of kind of the life cycle of the real estate is kind of a short and I don't want to say easy, but, you know, operating these properties, you know, some of course easier than others is really, is really harder than it looks to do well. And I think people should realize that kind of getting in on the front end that you are not buying a, a Walgreens here where, 
your check shows up on the first via automatic withdrawal and they're responsible, you really are buying an operating business and a property management business. And if you want that business to be successful, you need to operate it and run it as such. And, um, you know, I see a lot of loosey goosey operations and I think, you know, that's where people can really, really what, what it comes down to is like, is the property being managed well or isn't it? And even I've seen good managed properties or well-managed properties with still some opportunities to do some things better. So, you know, people just need to realize this is an operational business. And then the second biggest thing is, um, you know, I hear about five times a week, well, I don't want any park-owned homes or I don't want to be in the home business. And I think that's probably the big biggest misconception is that, you know, this is not the mobile home park of old where landscape where the dealer network kind of filled your property and kept it full. Um, if you're not in the home business, you're not really in the business. Mm -hmm. And that starts with, you know, turning homes that people move out of or abandoned, um, turning rentals, if that's a model you're using, figuring out a mechanism to resell homes in your property. Like, you are in the home business or you should be whether you want to or not. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a bit of a loss leader to the lot rent income that everyone really, really likes and wants to talk about. So that's one of the other, I would say biggest or two biggest misconceptions I see out there from, from new people trying to get in and, or, you know, the owners that are already in, I think there's always ways to improve your operations. And I've seen, you know, some really good customers go from one property to two to three to five to 10 <coughs> and trying to really really improve their operational systems, everything from bookkeeping to you know accounts payables, to marketing, to uh, bringing in newer homes, getting their home turns better. I mean, there's, there's a lot of variables that affect the operations. And um, I've seen you know, some really good operators become great at operators by improving their systems and, and their structures and really getting you know, a system that becomes replicatable for more than one one property and from a distance. So those are some other, you know, encouragements I see. And then the other big thing I, I like to talk about with sellers and or, you know, people that want to grow their operations is really starting to segment kind of those operations from home business to land business. Once you realize that's a business you have to be in and being able to give defensible kind of like background of, I have two sets of books, one for my real estate and one for my home portfolio. And I can tell you what I spent to rehab homes versus what actually went to fixing the real estate. Cause as most probably know, especially you and whatever, we're looking at multiple assets here and they are valued differently. So right. the more detail and data people can give us on their home operations versus the real estate, the better we can advise them and or articulate to a buyer what they're buying. So that's another big kind of three big topics I like to like to talk about. No, good, good stuff there on that last point. Yeah, I, I don't always recommend people to have, you know, different LLC for the land and for the homes. And if you've got an investment group like a PPM out there, a private place memorandum, you'll probably have, a, you know, a, a kind of a, I call it the investors LLC. And then you got a land LLC and a homes LLC, both of which are wholly owned by the investors LLC, but keeping that book separate. And sometimes I sold a park, it was 54 pads and I still own 15 of the homes. And the set, the buyer got a CMBS loan and the, and the lender did not allow him to have any parkland homes. So I was required, I was either going to A, lose my sale or B, I retained the homes. So I retained the homes and I had it. So that, but that was, I, luckily I had a different entity because otherwise it'd been more complicated. So that's definitely something. And then I have like friends and people in the industry 
all the time ask me, you know, like people that are just barely looking at it, they say, do you own the homes or does the other people own the homes? And I say, both. I say, in the ideal world, I'm going to own zero parking homes. But in the, in real, in the real world, the other the, the home occupant is not bringing their home in. An organ, organic move-in, I think I've had five or six in six years, not very many. I'm bringing homes in every month that are from new from the factory and used, and then I'm selling. So I'm, I'm in the home business, and, and I think you're absolutely right that uh, that's part of the business, you know, like it or not. Um, and, and, and you said loss leader, I think that's, that's spot on. And I think also you're talking about guys getting the space. One thing I'm, I'm looking, kind of looking forward to on the buyer side in a couple of years is when all these guys that are jumping in too fast end up having to give their deals back. I'll see guys just their first year in the business, they'll close on 10 deals. And I'm like, how are you going to operate those? You know, you, you clearly can raise capital. You already raised capital. You clearly know how to, you know, hopefully you paid a good price and hopefully you underwrote it properly, but you're not going to operate those in 10 different states right out of the gate, in my opinion. And I think it's, I think those guys are going to struggle in the, in the future. There's going to be more opportunities to buy, but right now it's really, really competitive to buy at uh, really low cap rates. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then you throw in, you know, some of the, you know, attractive kind of tax treatment and depreciation benefits of real estate. And that, that kind of adds another layer of, uh, of interest. But I mean, we're already seeing, you know, places where people bought and didn't know how to operate or overextended themselves. And, you know, what level that comes to market, I don't think we're going to see, you know, kind of the, the amount of, of uh, foreclosure activity that kept us very busy from like nine through 13, 14, even, I mean, I recently sold a, uh, a REO deal for a lender that had kind of worked through the cycle for 10 years. But I do think there will be some, you know, some people now are getting saved by interest rate compression, but um, I do see, you know, some struggles and operations that, you know, are fixable, but um, you know, it is uh, blocking and tackling kind of on the ground, you know, hand to hand combatants in some regards. Right. So uh, I think there will be, you know, inevitably some, some opportunities like that. And we've, we've seen them throughout kind of the, you know, the decades that we've been into the business is, you know, there's, there's always transactions. There's just different motivators, whether it's, you know, financial distress, divorce, disease, partnership dissolutions, or it's just time to sell and take some chips off the table. Right. But, uh, you know, I think there will be some, some, some distress and, either in the form of operational or, you know, where markets have been, uh, you know, overpaid in or overextended. No, for sure. I'm, I'm looking at a five part portfolio now and the, the guys that bought it there, they were they're very sophisticated financially came off wall street and they're sharp financial minds and raised the capital and run the numbers, but they don't, they don't like to operate. They've owned them for three years and they haven't been on site since pre-closing three years, no visiting. You've got a park manager who lives in the park trying to run the place. So they've been running the assets into the ground and they would have gone down 20, 30% in value, except the, the macroeconomic factors have made the, you know, cap rates to decrease. So they're actually like, they could actually make some money on these, but I don't see guys necessarily going belly up, but I see them realizing this is a huge nightmare and I'm going to just flush some of my investment money and get out and take my fees. And uh, I think that's that's the bad industry, but I do I do think there's some guys out there that are going to have to have that uh, that grand finale, if you will. But what do you what do you do you have any other comments as far as what do you think the best part of the business is or worst part of the business that you'd like to share? 
Well, you know, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of different parts from, from the brokerage side. You know, I love, I love meeting people. I love kind of planning the exit and marketing the property. I love the negotiations. You know, I don't like, uh, you know, the people that, that, uh, you know, kind of waste your time or don't do their own homework, but that is what it is in every, in every part of life in general. You know, I like the business and I especially like seeing people buy kind of turnaround projects where they can go in, use capital, put in new homes, you know, fix the properties up because that is kind of one of the coolest parts about this business is, you know, we can make, we can make money and we also can, you know, have a positive impact on, you know, a community as a whole. So I, I really enjoy kind of seeing people's improvements that they do, um, watching the community dynamic change over time with new or upgraded used homes and mailboxes and signs and all that various stuff. Um, you know, I don't, uh, you know, sometimes the tenant headaches are there, which is there in any type of rental property, but overall it's a, it's a great asset class. It's a great business and, uh, feel fortunate to have been in it for this long and, and, uh, been able to sustain a career in it. So in general, the positives far outweigh the negatives, but, um, you know, especially like here in, you know, new people getting in and, and ultimately bringing some other ideas that maybe people in didn't think of that we can see from other, other businesses. Um, I still think the business can do the industry can do a better job at positive PR and really selling what we've got. But I think that comes with, with time and, and uh, more integration from other spaces. So. I think that's a, that's a good point. And I think the PR piece particular, that's a, that's a big stigma to, to kind of overcome overnight with the mobile home park, you know, or trailer park verbiage, if you will. But I think we're coming a long way in the last couple of years. And, you know, the institutional investors, that's something that I think they're bringing is some new panache. And then by virtue of the institutional investors coming in, they're pouring capital in, they're cleaning up some of the parks. And then it's made institutional lending more readily available. So I think the, the ball is rolling in that direction. But I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, when I was in law school seven, eight years ago, uh, I had a law professor who was the head of the real estate department. And I told her I was getting into the mobile home park investment business on the side. And she said to me, you're not going to get in the country club. I was like, what are you talking about? She was, isn't that like payday lending and you take advantage of people? You know, you need more than money to get in the country club. You have to have like high integrity and stuff. I was just like, wow. One, she didn't really understand this asset class not different than payday lending. She just thought, oh, you're making money from poor people. You must be bad. But that was the stigma. They're like, you will not pass the country club test. And I was like, holy cow. Well, now... I've got guys at country clubs that are doctors and lawyers saying, Hey, can I invest in one of your deals? Like all of a sudden it's, you know, a little bit cool or it's at least acceptable or it's getting a brighter light. And I think the, the high press and there's Forbes magazine had an article on this and uh, LoopNet, you know, some of the big publications in the nationally have, have started to cover mobile home parks and manufactured housing communities. So I do see that trend starting to change, but I, I'm with you that there's a lot more room to go. Yeah, there definitely is. But I think that comes with, you know, good operators who realize that they're investing in a community and building up an asset value. And um, really at the end of the day, you know, trying to serve our, our customers and our consumers and, and make communities. And, you know, you can't make 100% of the residents happy, but you can you can certainly go for the, the good of the goal. And you know, that's one thing I do really, I really do enjoy seeing, especially with like turnaround projects is the progress people are able to make in really changing a property um, with, uh, with time and, and money. And it didn't get in a bad shape overnight and it takes time to do that. But 
it's uh, especially fun on the add value deals to really watch. Great. Well, Coleman, thanks again for your time. Where can people find you? How can they reach out to you? Yeah, best, uh, best way, you know, email Coleman at sunstonerea.com or welcome to give me a call in the office, 312-568-4818. And uh, appreciate you having me on for it and look forward to talking to some of the viewers and uh, trying to get some more transactions and deal done, deals done this year and into the future. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.